This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hey, group dynamics and creative problem solving are important things for everyone to understand. Because, hey, we all have to deal with it. So here's the big question. Can those dynamics be taught in a creative way? And how about to our kids in a point in time when they're probably the most creative? Well, that's the question posed to us by Destination Imagination. And tonight, the nerds are going to be talking with Rick Wimberly. He's a member of Destination Imagination in Nashville, and he's going to tell us amazing stories about how kids can be taught to learn, imagine, and come up with great, great solutions to everyday problems. It's an amazing show that you're not going to want to miss. So let's get started. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're going to keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Hey folks, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm your host, Scott Trudy, and with me, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh yeah. Mr. <laughs> Coonrod, how are you? I am fair to Midland. How are you, Scott? Fair to Midland. It's a true story. True story. I love I love that drop. <laughs> I I am feeling better. Thank you, sir. Good. Yeah, good. last week, uh, I, I, it was either allergies or some new variant of something rolling around that kept me uh, away from the mic, but we are feeling much better, so I'm glad to see I missed you, which is, which is, oh, yeah, I know, aww. so that's a, that's a groovy thing. Uh, also with us, everybody, you love her, uh, she's the queen of learning, uh, Miss Abby Dawson, everybody. <laughs> Abby. Hey there. How are you? I'm great. Glad to see you this week. Thank you. Yes, I'm glad to be here and not somewhere else. I mean, what the heck? It's a it's a great, great thing. How was your week? I had a really good week. Got to see some family, got to get some good runs in, so can't complain. Can't complain. Great. Well, folks, I'm super excited. We have a guest with us tonight, and I... I'm telling you right now, um, this is going to be just a, a a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, Mr. Rick Wimberly from Destination Imagination is with us. He's going to talk to us uh, about some groovy stuff when it comes to the creative process. But first, let's take some time to get to know Rick with a little segment we called What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Rick. 
Yeah. What's your deal, man? Well, my deal is I'm an old guy. I just recently turned 66 years old, and I've had um, a lifetime of adventures. And one of them has been learning about the creative problem-solving process. And for pretty close to 30 years, have been involved in Destination Imagination and its predecessor, which is this incredible worldwide program that that helps teach young people, uh, you know, kindergarten through college, the process of creative problem solving. And I'm real proud to have been associated with uh, DI for all these years. And it has just not only been something that has entertained me to no end, but it has taught me a lot as well. Well, you know, if we're just going to spend all night talking about DI, that is like the tip of the iceberg for your profile, sir. We have spent the last <laughs> 20 minutes talking about all the groovy stuff that has made up your fabulous um, resume of life. Could could you talk to us about some of the other fun things that, that, uh, that you're going to bring to the table tonight, sir? Well, I'm not sure that uh, I would think of myself as a fun guy. Uh, but however, um, I think I have, uh, a bit of ADD and, and so I have followed passions throughout my 66 years that have taken me through interesting careers. When I was 13 years old or so, uh, my mom and dad ran the local Sherwin Williams paint store. And across the street from the Sherwin-Williams store were the wonderful Skyline Studios of WVMG Radio, a little bitty radio station in, in middle Georgia. And for some reason or another, my dad had sent me up there to deliver some paint, I think. And when I walked up there, I just said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be in, in the radio business. And I didn't, but uh, I did at a very young age get started in in the radio business, like a lot of people have in a uh, small time, small town, <laughs> probably small time to uh, radio station. And was in the broadcast business for a number of years. Uh, got real interested in um, both TV and radio news, and it kind of you know went in that direction, which took me to uh, meeting a lot of interesting people and putting myself in some interesting places uh, that um, have made for some good stories and then accidentally got out of the radio business you know and and, and found that there were some other things that I that I enjoyed and one of them was of all things selling to to the government. And, um, and I ended up uh, working for a consultant, and he had a project um, selling a product called Capstone, which is basically professional pepper spray. And um, so I spent a number of years uh, traveling around the country, even around the world, selling uh, pepper spray to, to uh, soldiers and cops uh, for, uh, like the FBI. Uh, which Abby knows and loves. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, Rick sold the pepper spray that my dad had to be sprayed with to yeah, to be yeah. tested for it. <laughs> yeah. we, we we sprayed a lot of people, and I 
have been sprayed a few times myself, uh, sometimes by accident, not always. And from that, um, I found that I was, you know, had, had an aptitude for selling to government, which is kind of a different thing. And, um, and, and then had a couple of other consulting clients and, and companies that I worked for. And then this remarkable uh, partner I had who uh, was the marketing guy of one of the companies that I worked for, and I was the sales guy. Uh, so he ran marketing, I ran sales. Uh, we wrote a book together on the seven myths of selling to government, and it did fairly well. And uh, now um, uh, I I'm, I'm, have a podcast. Uh, call uh, the myths of selling to government, uh, where uh, I'm kind of uh, going over some of the things that we that we wrote in the book, which has been um, uh, enjoyable. And uh, I'm also kind of returned to to my roots in broadcasting, and am doing voiceover work along with a project I do with the. Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, I'm based right outside of Nashville, that, that helps do, uh, outreach campaigns for nonprofits and government agencies. And somewhere along the line, I, I had the idea of running for the school board in Williamson County outside of uh, Nashville and have been on the school board here uh, for about 10 years and, and still have three years on a term. And we're a fairly large district. We have 49 schools, uh, 42,000 students. And with the things that schools are having to do for COVID, you can imagine that is a rather um, uh, interesting place to be now. I would say that today alone, I've probably received 50 emails, and I don't think any of them were saying, hey, you guys are doing a great job. Um, so, And I'm sure that's going on with all school board members across the country. Uh, and it kind of helped satisfy a passion I had for education. I just want to say that, that, that leap from uh, news jockey news radio jockey to uh, pepper spray salesperson. That's a wild leap, man. <laughs> oh, you should have been there. I mean, I... When, when you opened up with a lifetime of adventure, now, now that you're talking from just like what we're talking about in the pre-show, like that's like a, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I, I find a lot of things interesting, um, and I don't know that, you know, I, I'm, I'm like a lot of people, you, you get real, or you feel like you get good at something, and then you want to learn something else, and uh, I've always kind of followed my passions. I've always done work that, um, that allowed me to put my pillow on, on the bed at night, feeling comfortable, and somehow or another, you know, certainly with the, the help of a, uh, a, a great life partner and my wife, we've been married coming up on 47 years, uh, I think. Um, uh, I was 19 when we got engaged, and uh, we've managed to, to 
raise a, uh, uh, you know, a family of uh, four kids and now four grandkids and all four of the kids have interesting and successful creative careers. And, uh, and I don't know wh- how it happened. <laughs> like I, I'm often, how did stupid Ricky Wimberly from Cochran, Georgia, at 19 years old, chase this, this gorgeous blonde and one night, um, uh, you know, not even planned it, asked her to marry me. And she said, yes. And here we are all these years later and still doing it. This is awesome. I really appreciate that, that backstory. I am super excited to continue this conversation, especially around this idea of imagination and the creative problem-solving process. So without further ado, folks, let's go ahead and uh, jump into some stories and our topic for the week. Rick, could you help us? Could you help us out and talk to us a little bit about this idea of the creative problem-solving process? Because I'm intrigued. Sure. Um, you know, you know, kind of my background is, you know, like you got involved in a lot of things when you have kids is your wife says, um, yeah, your daughter, Jessica wants to be involved in this thing at school and you need to go to the meeting today about it. And, um, so that happened when she was in middle school and, uh, the meeting was about, there was a program that was a predecessor to what we know and love as destination imagination. And I had no idea what it was, but it was a new program in Tennessee. And when you you show up for a meeting for a new program, you get put in charge of something. So basically, <laughs> and, and, and in fact, I've been the chairman of the state board of DI for probably 20 years and have held a, a variety of uh, uh, positions. But it's kind of based on the premise that young people can be taught the process of creative problem solving. First, you know, by understanding what creative problem solving is. And, and it, it, it begins with the premise that you don't have to be an artist to be creative. And you can have a background and interest in almost anything, but you still must be creative. And so what this is, is a competition um, where you start at the local level, then regional level, then state, and there's an international competition uh, each year. And so basically the way it works is uh, a team of um, uh, creative writers write uh, basically six different types of problems or challenges that a team of around seven kids uh, must solve over actually a, a three-month period. And, you know, these problems, there's one always that that is kind of artistic or theatrical in nature. There's always one that is building in nature where often you use um, um, popsicle sticks or whatever, something you know, very light to build structures that that need to hold a uh, significant amount of weight. Uh, there is generally an improv challenge, 
and um, an engineering challenge, often one where the kids have to design a solution to move, let's say, a vehicle from one part of a gymnasium to another part of the gymnasium. So kind of the reason that there are different types is to cut, to appeal to kids who have different types of interest. But within these challenges, um, and, and, you know, I've always been involved in the theatrical challenge. Um, the, um, and, you know, one of my favorite ones was, although most of the challenges in the theatrical uh, area involve building sets and, you know, presenting the story and, you know, sometimes you have to write songs and, you know, it just varies from year to year. One year we did a radio challenge and me being an old radio guy, and I was on the writing team for that. Um, we, we came up with this challenge where you had to produce a radio program and uh, you had to have a newscast in it. You had to have a commercial and there were a lot of rules that went into this challenge. And we kind of thought since our kids in the theatrical challenge like to build sets and everything, that it wouldn't be a popular challenge. But it just recently was voted by the Alumni Association of DI as one of the best, well, the best challenge, you know, um, uh, um, of the last 20 years or so. So, you know, it, it, it's a little bit difficult to predict, you know, what kids will um, take a shine to and what they will want to do. Uh, but uh, if you make the challenge interesting enough, you can sneak a lot of lessons in there. Like they had to learn to write. They had to learn to write succinctly, which is a difficult lesson for, for people to learn. And it's, it's an important lesson. I see, you know, Dan and Abby uh, nodding their heads. Yes. Oh, heck yeah. I, yeah. I, I had a sit down with my boss this week where she told me I need to write more succinctly. So. <laughs> uh, let me help you. <laughs> let me help you. <laughs> and, um, you know, and there are performance lessons and, and always on, on a team, there are often kids who like to do uh, performing, and then there are kids who like to do designing. And uh, often, you know, when, when we have a competition, we have a period where the judges, and by the way, I've got all of you uh, marked down as, as future DI judges, so... Stand Sign by for that. Up. You're going to love it. I already asked. Sign <laughs> You're signed up. up. And yes! <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I will provide my email. I'll sign up, you know, people all over the country. We're always needing judges. And, um, um, but we have this, this, this period after they present their solution to us where, you know, the judges talk to them and, and invariably, you know, you got the performing kids who are right out there. Let me show you this. Let me show you that. And then there's always this kid who's kind of quiet in the background. And we train the judges, find that kid and start asking them questions. And you find out that, you know, this is the kid who wrote the songs. This is the kid who designed this and that and the other. And each of these kids bring different things to, to solving these challenges. But this program is, is created in a way that there is a defined process for doing this. And when these writing teams, of which I've been lucky to be on several, we're given, you know, quite a challenge of, 
okay, you got to write a theatrical challenge. And like one year we did something about breaking the proscenium arch. But you also have to include these lessons in there as well, like the actual skill of storytelling. And sometimes we'll say the, the presentation has to include stories about the seven wonders of the world. So they have to do research about that. So these kids work together in these, these groups, often put together by teachers or by volunteer parents. And these kids may have nothing in common, and yet um, they're, they're kind of taught how to work in a team with people where you have nothing in common who have different skill sets and different preferences for solving problems. And, and you know, once you learn that, all of a sudden, you've presented a solution. And in the meantime, uh, we also give them, on the day of the competition, they go into a ro- another room with judges, and they're given a challenge to solve on the spot. And the judges will spend five minutes explaining what the challenge is. And then the kids will have, let's say, five or ten minutes to to solve it. And often it's construction of something. They'll be given random things like the, you know, random things that are on on my desk now and your desk. And and they'll be told, okay, in the next five or ten minutes, you've got to build these things into a bridge, into a structure. And that structure has got to explode at some point because of this or that or the other. So um, they're giving... Sounds like the MacGyver session. (laughs) Well, it is. uh, You know, a lot of people point to Apollo 13 and, 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 you know, but, but, you know, what we do is we kind of sneak up on the kids uh, by teaching them processes when they think they're preparing to compete against, you know, other teams, which they do. And so, and then... And I could, I could talk about this all night, so, you know, please please interrupt me. But, but one of the interesting things, um, but you better interrupt fast. Um, but but I, I, Abby and I were talking about this the other day, and, and it, it's the fact that DI helps bring out um, uh, an appreciation for people with different problem-solving preferences. And, you know, for example, in one of our advanced training one year, um, we, were, uh, we, we were taught basically three or four elements of difference in problem-solving preferences. And the one that, to me, has always been the most helpful is the difference between an internal processor and an external processor. And an internal processor is someone who will take a situation and mull it over and you know, we'll think about it. And sometimes you have to prod what they're thinking out of them. An external person is someone like me who likes to talk through a problem out loud. And so you take an internal person and an external person, you put them on a team together and, you know, you, we all find ourselves working with people with different problem solving preferences it can be frustrating. The internal person is thinking, why don't they shut up so we can solve the problem? And the external person is saying, why don't they talk and help us figure out this problem? So, so Dan, we- Scott, I want, 
I'm going to jump in, Rick. Which one? Which one of you guys? I know what I am. Oh, and Rick and I talked about it. I'm external all the way, 100. <laughs> percent And I would also say that I'm that facilitator in the room. I think that that's one of the, probably one of your learnings, right? Is that there needs to be someone that can facilitate both to kind of shine the way they need to. I'll let well, Dan speak. I was, I was going to say, like, I'm. I'm he's not going to have a chance. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You have been on our show before, haven't you? <laughs> oh, excuse me. I can look at him and tell. <laughs> Dan, go ahead. Okay, everybody shut up. Dan. Dan. So, so I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm obviously external all the way. And, and uh, oh. I'm often like a group party solver. Uh, so, like, when I've got, like, the uh, the thorniest issues for me are the ones where I'm calling up people and be like, let me borrow your brain space for a couple minutes and I got to talk to you about this. And then like, I'll often talk to somebody and they'll be like, oh, okay, like, have you thought about this? And like, that'll be the thing. I'll be like, oh, nope, I didn't. That's it. I got to solve. Thanks so much. I got to go. Bye. Yep. Oh, um, yeah. You're one of us, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and we figured it out. I, I had the same conversation with Rick a couple days ago and I was like, oh my gosh, me and my boss, who I'm very good friends with. Um, I've just known her for a long time. I trust her a lot. We, when we try and solve problems together, like we drive each other crazy and that's because she's mm-hmm. internal and I'm external. I'm like, I'm going to write everything down and then we can look at it all together. And she's like, I don't want to do that. That sounds painful and awful. <laughs> and I figured out we're just opposites. I worked for a guy once who said he had to learn with me that when he brought me a problem, I said the weirdest things, uh, just off the wall stuff that, you know, was just weird to him. And he said, but he would learn that, that, you know, I'd come back, uh, after talking it over with a lot of people and I'd eventually come up with something that was, you know, kind of sensical. And, um, and, 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 and so, you know, it, it takes both to solve problems, but if you can just appreciate, and I guarantee you people listening now will think about this. You know, and 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 soon about okay, this person I'm dealing with, um, this person's actually internal, and I'm external, or vice versa. So, Scott, I know you're dying to say something. Everybody's dying to say because <laughs> we're all. I external. was going to give Dan a chance to talk because he was rudely interrupted by someone. <laughs> oh, no, no, listen, listen. That um, would be me. No, no, you're fine. No, you guys. <laughs> You know, funny story. I was I was talking to I was talking to my daughter and my wife uh, about interrupting, and uh, my daughter and I are both chronic interrupters. Just because, like, when we're doing conversations, we're like talking over, clipping each other's words because we're just like ideas, 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 ideas. And my wife is very much like, "This is my talk time. I am talking. This is my space, and I am done. I return the floor to you." And my daughter yeah. and I, meanwhile, are like, talk, 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 talk. <laughs> so, no, this is great. I, I will say I love, I love this idea of not just talking to people about, like, how to solve problems, but, like, talking to people about how they are comfortable solving problems. I 100% love that idea. And, you know, honest to goodness, until this very conversation, I feel like it, that's something that, like, I should have known, but I didn't. And like, I'm now thinking back to like all these like conversations, like where I've had like coaching sessions and I've talked to people about like how they work and how they get things done. And like, now I feel like there's a hole in all of them where I'm like, how do you best solve problems? 
what does your process look like? Right, because so often we approach a, a, a learner and say, this is, this is the process for solving that problem. Yeah. Which is the wrong place to start. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, if I, if I could tell a story, I was telling you about the radio challenge we did and how uh, successful and popular that was. Well, the year we did that was the year we had the, the writers had the first training on these different problem-solving preferences. And before we got together for our first writing session, they gave us all a test, which we didn't know what the test was for, but it kind of identified our problem-solving preferences. And then when they made us familiar with it, they sat down and we went through as a team, and the writing team, I think there were five or six of us, we went through our problem-solving preferences before we started writing, and we were overwhelmingly a group of external processors. And we had one guy, a fellow named Cy Richards, uh, out of, I think he was from New Hampshire, and he was internal off the charts. So we're in there trying to create this solution to this challenge, and somebody will have an idea, and then you know, the, the, the four or five of us would yap, 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 talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And then me being the, 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 um, the team leader, I say, whoa, 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 just a minute. Don't you remember our training? Cy, what do you think? And Cy would say the most brilliant thing. And we would all go, wow. And then we talk about it for the next 30 minutes. And Cy didn't have a chance, but. <laughs> You know, kind of the point being is that because I had been trained, we had all been trained about our different problem-solving preferences, that it made it comfortable working as a team for the team leaders to say, okay, you know, you four people and myself, shut up and let's let talk, side talk. And then, you know, that's where, you know, he had this great stuff you know, bless his heart. So Cy, and, if you're and, out there, Rick obviously thinks very highly of you. Yeah, um, <laughs> Cy passed away a number of years. So uh, if they have podcast in heaven, perhaps he's, he's, he's hearing this, but, but Scott, I'm quite me, sure they have podcasts in heaven. Yes, Rick. They, they must. So going back to uh, what you said a little while ago, you said, I'm the facilitator. I, I want to be the guy who, moves the team on. Well, one of the other problem-solving preferences is whether you are task-oriented or people-oriented. And not that one is better than another, but some people just, you know, are just focused on getting a problem solved, you know, task, 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 task. And I suspect that you would score fairly, you know, you would skew toward that. Some people are, okay, how is this solution um, going to affect people? Well, uh, I'm like you, Scott. I'm, I'm off the charts task. Uh, and, and so, you know, and, you know, when we were talking about this as a family, my wife said, oh, yeah, you know, you're all about just getting it done and kind of think, okay, people, you know, fall into line. But, but you need a certain task orientation. But you need people who are uh, people-oriented in their solution-solving, uh, uh, solution development. And not that, you know, I don't like people. I do. Um, 
And not that I'm a task driver. Well, yeah, I am. And <laughs> but but you need people who, you know, can can look at a proposed solution and saying that's a good idea, but you know what, our engineers are gonna hate this. So we need to adjust it so that it's appealing to our engineers. So anyway. No, I, I, I agree. One of the things that I've learned is the need for balance in both. Like you can come into the room and make sure everybody has a voice, which I think is really important, right? So part of the things we do in facilitation is to ensure that we have those creative ideas. Like, hey, Cy, what are you talking about, right? To get that out because that's what makes the project better. But you got to stay on task too because the next thing you know, you have done nothing but talk about chocolate chip cookies for an hour and nothing got done. So that balance, I think, is um, – something that we as leaders need to kind of stay on top of so i, I, I do appreciate cookies. that chocolate chip cookies are pretty fantastic i, I know but if i don't get some <laughs> never mind I, I love them too i'm so sorry really... what were you guys talking about that my chocolate mind wandered cookies. on chocolate chip cookies yeah i know you know if i can interrupt the flow for just a minute because you gave me permission I really want to hear more about some of these processes, right? So we get ID people, instructional design people that are listening going, these are fantastic stories. What are some of these creative processes and bumpers, so to speak, that you laid out that we could learn from and, and apply to our course design? Well, certainly um, brainstorming. You know, and, and uh, understanding the rules of brainstorming, the most difficult being is withhold judgment, withhold judgment. And that is hard. It's hard to be that person up front and get a really bad idea and not go, okay, I'll write this one down, but we know this one is, you know, no good. Or to get a really good idea and say, whoa, that's good. You know, that comes later in the process. You know, but but first you withhold judgment and then you go back and and you do, you know, of course, everyone's done the uh, the uh, sticky notes with the dots, you know, on on the solution. So that's certainly one. The the one of the ones that I think uh, works, you know, that DI really brings to the table is, okay. There are rules for the competition. For example, you cannot, as a team, you can get the adult who's involved with the team, who we call a coach or a manager, you can get them to bring resources to, let's say, a team meeting. Uh, but the team must design and present the solution. That's an important rule. There's a rule about the amount of money that can be spent. There's a rule about the amount of time that can be used to present the solution. And then when you get into the intricacies of the problem uh, at hand, then there are some real uh, specific rules uh, that are established within the, um, within the problem itself. And let's say in the radio rule, you had to do a commercial but the commercial couldn't be more than 30 seconds. And it had to have, you know, a song in it. And if you didn't have a song in it, if you didn't have a jingle, you couldn't get your points. But this had to be done within 30 seconds. 
And people had to be able to hear the commercial and know what it was about. So there were specific rules. So rules, 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 guidelines, parameters. But however, but however, if the rule, if there's not a rule against it, you can do it. And you kind of train the teams that you got to follow the rules. You must follow the rules. But, you know, once you understand those rules, you want to push the rules, you want to push the boundaries a bit, as long as you don't go over, do it. Absolutely do it. So there are a lot of training techniques that you can use to get people to, 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 to push the rules. But they can't break the rules. You can't break the rules. If you're doing a training program and it's for a specific group, you can't do that training program for another group. But you can be as creative as, as you need to be to make the training program work for, for that group. I mean, that's, that's, you know, one example. So, um, you know, that's, that's an important part of the process. That's an interesting idea. You don't often hear people say, I want you to explore the limits of the rules and take advantage of them. We don't, do we ever hear that from our teams? I, <laughs> I absolutely love, love that. Uh, I, years ago, I was in an activity where we were given like a bunch of like spaghetti noodles and broken up into teams. There are two groups and our group, everybody was given roles and responsibilities. And like we had to build like a bridge that would like hold something as you rolled it across. And the first time I ran the activity, I asked the facilitator, like, hey, so we each have our own roles. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, and we have to work inside of our own roles. He's like, yeah. I was like, okay, can I go over to that team over there and borrow some of their resources and borrow some of them? And can we work together? And he kind of smiled and said, yeah. And so, like, pretty soon our two teams had come together and pretty quickly we figured out that the whole gist of this activity was our team was given a bunch of, like, rigid structure and rules and what, who could do what and who could hold what and who could say what. And the other team wasn't. They were allowed to just, like, willy-nilly. And, like, instantly, like, that idea of, like, oh, like, hey, like, here's this behind-the-scenes curtains of this activity. I absolutely love it. I get it. And by, like, breaking down those bonds and, like, stepping around the rules that limited us, we were able to, like, work together to build this great thing. Later on, I had the opportunity to be in that activity again somewhere else. And knowing what was up, I was kind of like, well, hey, can, like, we work with that other team? And the guy was like, absolutely not. No. Like a hard Well, that no. was a rule. <laughs> and, like, yeah, he had, like, he had set the rule. an arbitrary, stupid rule, but it was a rule. <laughs> and, you know, like that activity never felt the same. Like as I ran through it that mm -hmm. second time, I ended up that time in the group of people who had no rules. Like, yeah, I just worked together and figured it out. And I'm looking across the way at the other team is like, one person is like, this is what we're going to build. And this is how we're going to build it. And one other person is like, I'll go gather the pieces. And just, I felt like that moment had been lost to like reach beyond the activity and get to the real heart and root of it through like self-discovery. And so like, Telling people not to break the rules, but work around the rules is fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And to learn them enough that you can do that, to spend the time to say, I understand yes. what the rule does and where the limits are. I think that's fascinating. Uh, absolutely, Abby. That's, that's kind of key. And, you know, in your case, Dan, they, 
uh, and they changed the rules, and but they changed the rules. In fact, um, we have done challenges in the past where the the teams um, uh, and their presentation started out in one place, but the challenge specifically said halfway through the presentation, we're going to give you an object randomly, and you've got to incorporate this into your solution. And uh, it's, it's, you know, teaching them that you got to follow the rules, but sometimes the rules change. And like Abby said, if you understand the rules, even with the changes, then you can be creative in producing the solution within the rules. Did you ever build failure into your challenges? Because I feel like failure is a great way to learn. And so often I, I feel like it's one of those misses that we have in design of, yeah, we're not going to create something where you could fail and learn and do so in a safe environment. So I, I just was really curious about that. Well, inherently, you've got a group of seven kids um, trying to solve a problem, and they're not allowed. I mean, the parent or the the adult is not allowed to to help them solve the problem or present the solution. So, yes, you inherently have failure. Of course, you have failure. It comes throughout the process, and it's certainly not unusual for you know a team to be presenting the solution where all of a sudden their backdrop falls and or whatever happens and then they can't you know they have to continue to go on they they also are taught because of the way the scoring does because you know even though the solution may sound pretty simple they may be scored on 20 different elements and you know the experienced teams learn that, okay, let's say our backdrop falls in the middle of the presentation. Well, guess what? We could only earn five points for our backdrop, so let it fall. But, however, we could, you know, we, we, um, we got a song coming up that's worth 15 points. So, to heck with the backdrop. You know, let's sing the song, which I think is kind of an important lesson, is, okay, you fail at something and trying to, to, to solve a problem, what are the real consequences of that? It may not matter, yet it's so easy because we want to do things right to, to, to you know, focus on that when we've, we, we're really wasting our tr- time trying to fix something that, that doesn't necessarily need to be fixed and certainly doesn't need to be fixed to to you know at you know uh and and ignoring some of the other things like you know I do uh, uh a good bit of audio editing and I will spend the longest time getting something out of 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 a piece of audio and then go back and say you know what that whole piece is not going in yet I want to get it out I've wasted that time um now I had to do it to learn I was wasting it but but I think failure is is built into into the competition. Um, to me, it's always been real interesting to see you know who whoever created this originally to see what a fantastic job 
they did at creating a competition with rules that in themselves help teach a lesson. And the kids are oblivious to it. They're just having fun and trying to solve a solution. You know, not to mention the fact that invariably, the night before a competition, you talk to the adults who are helping the team and you say, are they ready? And the adults will say, yeah, right. No, they're not ready. And they'll often, you know, spend the night, you know, messing with something. And then they do their presentation and it's, you know, fine. And the adults uh, underestimated it. Plus, the way we, you know, we do the judging is when you three become a judge, you'll be given on a particular challenge, you'll be given very specific things to judge. You ignore everything else, but you focus on those things. Uh, it could be storytelling. You know, it could be a technical element. Like you've got to, to, to judge how the timepiece is built or whatever. And, and, and so, you know, which, which kind of causes the process to put the priority on the things that matter most. Like when you're given a project, you know, you ask people, okay, um, what is it that we're really trying to accomplish here? Because, you know, I can hire a, a great deep voice voiceover guy like Rick, but that may not be what we're trying to do here. That may not work. It may, you know, you may like the way it sounds or you may not, uh, but that may not have anything to do with, with, with what, what you're trying to, to, to teach. I Could love even that. Hurt. Yeah. I love that lesson. Uh, just, I think there's, that's such a valuable lesson, not just for, for, for kids, but for like just grown ups for adults in like corporate America, like this idea of this, like, Hey, as you're pouring in your heart, time, soul, and energy into like trying to chase perfect, you're, you're missing good. Hey, I, I would love to get from you at least one story. Could you, could you share with our audience one story of say triumph or inspiration that you remember fondly from your experience that may have value to our audience? like an event or some kid came up with something or is there just too many of them? <laughs> well, as you can tell, I'm silent for the first time tonight. Um, it really, it really is. And when I train judges, I say, let me tell you something. Chances are good. When you go to this competition, there's going to be a point where there is going to be a chill down your spine or a tear in your eye. And we have some special awards we give in addition to everything else. I said, when that happens, and I guarantee you it will happen, and it'll happen to you for one thing, it'll happen to you for another, and you for another thing. But then we've got an award winner there who deserves a special award. And I, I, I don't know how many competitions I've done, probably, I don't know, 75 or 80, you know, over the years. And it is rare, the competition where I haven't had a, a chill down my spine or, or a tear in my eye. And 
that's kind of the way I look at a lot of, lot of things, you know, and it's, it's helped me to, to kind of, you know, you trust your gut, but if a solution really appeals to you, you're going to have a physical reaction of some type, or I do. And if someone's even in a school board meeting occasionally, a school board meeting, you know, someone will say something that'll come from the most unlikely place. And all of a sudden, you know, I'll, I'll feel a little tear and I think, Oh, okay. All right. That's, that's what I will remember. Um, I, I can tell you the stories that I remember are mostly just kind of funny stories, <laughs> but um, there really are just too many. It's an inspirational thing to 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 participate in. And I will tell you often those chills and 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 those tears come when something goes wrong. When something goes wrong. And someone says something or does something uh, to recover, you know. And it, it's it. I, I I don't think I've ever seen a backdrop that, you know. And I'm I'm not a you know a visually visual guy. I've never seen a backdrop that put a tear in my eye. But I have heard uh, lines in a song or something where I go, whoa. I mean that that's cool. I'm going to give that to my son. He's going to steal it and, and do a hit record with it. So I wish I wish I could do better, Scott, but No, that that's great. Um unfortunately, we we are kind of coming up on time and I'm just going to say this. You sir are a national treasure and I would <laughs> I would I you are. You are. And I could listen to you all night. But I also am old. And it's getting past my bedtime, but I would I would love to have you back um, to share more of these stories when you have time. Um, and as we start to wrap things up, could you could you tell our listeners how they can um, find more of you, Rick, um, and how can they can support some of the things you're working on? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for those words, Scott. You just put a um, a chill down my spine. Thank you for that. The um, well, the, the uh, gov selling uh, is government selling solutions. Just do a keyword on that, and you can get to the gov selling web- website, which will take you to the podcast, which will take you to to the blog. Um, my voiceover work is uh, voiceover grand dude. My kids call me grand dude, and my I have a what I call a creative team, which is mostly my kids. Um, they and, and and my my voiceover coach said, you sound like a grand dude. And, you know, that's the way we ought to market you. You sound like, yes, an older guy, and but you sound like you don't take yourself too seriously, which I don't. So there's a voiceover grand dude for that. Um, I'm all over LinkedIn. Um, I'm on the Williamson County, Tennessee School Board. Uh, it's pretty easy to, to find me there. And, um, you know... I'm seen around and about, and I've been driving the same uh, old Jeep Wrangler for for over 20 years. So that's kind of my people know how to stop me and complain about what the school board is doing by looking for that old Jeep. 
Oh, and destination awesome. imagination. Uh, destination imagination mm -hmm. is easy to find. Just type in destination imagination. And if you want to see what we're doing in Tennessee, just type in destination imagination Tennessee. Scott, is that the first time somebody told us the car they drive? I think it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, it uh, is. Excuse me. It's not a car. It's a Jeep. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Man, I hope you've got a book inside of you because I will pimp the loving bejesus out of it. I, I meant when I said you're national, you're a national treasure, and I hope that you can join us again. Thank you. And thank you for the kindness. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, man. I, Abby, thanks for getting Rick. This is fantastic. Um, no lie. <laughs> Daniel. Yes, Scott. Could you do us a solid and let our listeners know how they can uh, participate with us? Absolutely. Party people, if you haven't already, reach out to us, learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us your questions. Email us questions you want us to send to Rick. Email us. Easy peasy. Uh, if you haven't already, find us on our Facebook page at Learning Nerds. Lastly, for you Instagram folks, we are Fab Learning Nerds. Hey, folks, that's going to do it for tonight. I'd like to thank um, Rick for joining us again. Thank you so much. What a fantastic uh, discussion we had on the creative problem solving. Folks, do us a favor. Could you please hit that subscribe button? Share this podcast with your friends. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher or any place that allows for reviews, write us a review. We'd love to hear how, we do, how we're doing. It allows us to go ahead and get our word out to more people. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Rick, and we're the Fabulous Learning Nerds. And we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.